August Falch Arash to the Crazy House Prices podcast with me, Kieran McQueen. In this podcast, we dive deep into the Irish housing market and explore the factors that are driving prices up or down. In this episode, I'm joined by housing expert Ronan Lyons of Trinity and Daft.ie. Ronan has done a PhD in housing in Ireland and basically is the go-to for most media outlets and even the government on all things housing. Ronan runs through the data behind house prices, his predictions on house prices and some solutions he feels would help make housing more affordable. So sit back, enjoy the podcast and basically just get ready to learn like all of these episodes and be more informed about the Irish housing market right here on the Crazy House Prices podcast. I just want to pause the podcast for a moment to talk to you about a company called Beat the Bank. So the stress of organising mortgage protection just got a whole lot easier with BeatTheBank.ie. This amazing Irish company offers the guaranteed lowest price for mortgage protection in the country. And it's not just for first time buyers. You can switch your own mortgage protection anytime and enjoy the benefits of their market leading discounts. I, along with hundreds of my Instagram followers have used Beat the Bank and the feedback has been amazing over the last 12 months with their 100% end to end digital experience, quoting and applying for mortgage protection has never been easier. You can get a quote in seconds and apply in minutes without the hassle of unwanted sales calls or any paperwork. So visit beatthebank.ie today and protect your mortgage with ease and peace of mind. Beat the Bank saves you time and money on mortgage protection, whether you're a first time buyer or looking to switch. They've also just launched income protection and life insurance on the site too. And if you have a house or are renting and are planning to buy, you need to consider protecting your income. So check out beatthebank.ie. Now back to the podcast. Now, today with me on the podcast, I have Ronan Lyons, economist with Daft, among other places. I think Ronan, Trinity as well, is it? That's right. Yeah, the day yeah. job is Trinity, and then I, I helped them out with the, uh, the Daft out with the reports. Yeah. So, Ronan, uh, again, another qualified expert on the podcast to give us their thoughts on house prices, where they're going. Um, so, welcome, Ronan. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Um, do you want to give yourself a little introduction? I think most people probably know uh, from my retweets and and uh, reports and what have you. But if you want to let anybody know who doesn't know, yeah, I, I mean, there's probably no harm, I suppose. Um, not everyone's going to know, and and why should they? Um, uh, so I started working with Daft um, back when I was doing a master's a long time ago now, uh, almost twenty years ago. Um, we started doing the Daft reports. Um, uh, since then, I, I worked in a couple of jobs, but I ended up going back to college to do a PhD and I did it on the Irish housing markets. Um, and then about 10 years ago, I started working in, in Trinity. Um, and shortly after I started working, actually, and this probably fills in the personal bit, we started looking for a place to buy. Um, and uh, and then we went um we found a place in 2015 that had to do it up. So we actually got in, similar to your own story, Kieran. And yeah. um, by the time we actually got in, we got in, in in 2017. So I was on the journey, which seems like not that long ago. But I guess if you're a buyer now, 2017 is ancient history. Um, uh, but over the last um, 10 years or so, I've become increasingly concerned as a lack of housing in Ireland. Um, I will say that the, the kind of the owner-occupied side is is the, the for sale side is less bad than it is on the rental side and the social housing side. There's kind of worse problems there, but that's why I, I, I do a lot of what I do. I, I, in some ways, I'd much rather be off doing my obscure academic research, um, but the um, 
but the, the fact that things have got as bad as they have in terms of the overall housing system and its health um, means that people like me are kind of out there quite a bit because um, people always want to know how you're going to fix it um, or how should it be fixed. Yeah, exactly. How should it be fixed rather than how are you going to fix it? But <laughs> I, and I guess it's, um, as you said, house price and like I think a lot of people following my page there are a lot of renters following it and they and they do kind of see that the, the rent, rents have gone up uh, astronomically and even though house prices have gone up also I feel like the the kind of central bank lending rules and stuff since the the last crash have saved us a little bit from uh, maybe house prices in Ireland going up as high as they have done in in other cities and in other countries but rent but rents have have just gone kind of totally out of control and uh, I guess when it comes when we talk about all this it's always it will always kind of come back to a lack of supply and and as you said there's there's a, a massive lack of supply on, on both sides but thinking about say house prices and i know the the cso stats are always the the main thing that we kind of get concrete data on how much things sold for how much houses sold for homes sold for should i say but i guess my issue with the cso stats is that they are generally quite delayed because the last one we got a couple of weeks ago was the stats for november and any sales going through in november when you kind of take the average as to how long a home takes to go from sale agreed to sold like you're looking at maybe the stats that we see in november those homes are probably sold some point during the summer or even before that so i guess when we're talking about house prices and trying to see where trends are going what what do you what are you seeing um from the data that you're looking at yeah i think that's an important point is that they're there is no one true measure of 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 prices in the housing market, even though we might want there to be the CSO measure has actual prices, but it does look backwards quite a bit. Um, list prices are really useful, but but you got to know what they are, and they are not capturing. Um, and the, the the data with DAFT are are are, are list prices. What we do with those is we mix adjust them. So we basically make sure we're comparing as best we can, like for like over time. And that's the same method the CSO uses. And that's typically the best way of figuring out what's going on. Effectively, kind of between them all, and I know to a layperson why there are you know, six or seven different housing market reports. In some ways, it's better though, because if they're using different data sets, similar methods, but different data sets, and they've all a slightly different purpose, then at least in their you know, in their collection, we can see in the collection of them, we can see the patterns. Now, that doesn't help someone who's looking at the market right now and going, is this a good time to buy? Yes or no? Because one's backward looking, one's a list prices, you know, which which do I use? But overall, I think um, if you look at, if I, if I use the the, um, the draft report figures, I think you can see a big difference between the first half of 2022 and the second half. And a, a difference that I would, I, would in, um, I, I would put value on in terms of understanding a change in market conditions. So in the first half of 2022, I would call it the end of the COVID market. So you see big increases in a lot of counties around Ireland um, as the kind of unexpected savings of COVID. The last of those comes it comes into the market. So in some counties, there were six or seven percent increases over the course of three months. These are really big increases um, to see in just three months. But they all petered out in sort of June, July, August. As we went from the, the end of the COVID housing market into the start, I guess, of what you might call the, um, the Ukrainian war housing market, with a return to inflation, higher interest rates, um, all of that disruption feeding through into the economy, the world economy, and then the Irish economy as a result. And most parts of the country, if you compare June to December, there was no change in prices. 
having been a, such a big increase in the first six months, the second six months of the year saw nothing. And you could say, right, well, that maybe that's supply, right? Maybe uh, the supply situation improved itself and there was more, because there had been a big hit in the secondhand supply with COVID and the lockdowns, supply was actually hurt when demand wasn't. Somebody like me might have guessed the opposite pre-COVID, mm-hmm. um, but what actually happened in the lockdown was the the sort of the sand in the wheels of the secondhand markets, um, and you couldn't go to review a place because you couldn't get in the door, right? Because you literally couldn't go see anything. And it's taken quite a while for the secondhand market to recover to the volumes of, of number of homes coming on the market that we had seen pre-COVID. But by the second half of 2022, in a lot of the country, not Munster, but in, in, in Leinster and in the cities, um, we had seen kind of a return to supply. So you could look at that second half of the year and go, but you know what it is? It's just supply improving and that's, a, that's, that's fine. That's a good thing. But it, it still means that demand is strong, even if supply has got better. But one of the elements in the DAFT report is we surveyed people active in the housing markets and we asked them what do they think is happening in the housing housing markets. And in particular, we asked them one question, which is, what do you think is going to happen prices over the next year? And this matters because people base their decisions today on their expectations for the future. It doesn't matter whether the expectations are right or wrong. If I think Mm. prices are going to go up by 10% over the next year, I will make a decision on that. And that decision will be different, probably, than if I think prices are going to fall 10% over the next year. And what we saw in the second half of 2022 was those expectations about the future became less optimistic. People were, or or you might even say, less pressured. People were no longer expecting increases of 5% or more in house prices. They were now expecting prices to be stable. And that would mean that demand is softening, not just supply getting better, but demand softening. And that's why I think as we go through the first half of 2023, I think we're quite uh, we're not that likely to see any upward pressure in prices. I think there's going to be a much better balance between the buyer and the seller in the housing market now than there has been for the last couple of years. Okay, so just to kind of recap on some of that, that I guess going back to the supply of secondhand homes, I guess the people who were looking to sell those homes had nothing else to buy as well, which causes kind of like a chokehold yeah. on that supply in that side of the market. And then what you're saying there, so the daft reports, so this is something I didn't understand. So the daft report uses asking prices but the reason it uses asking prices is because the sold prices is not as up to date so there's a delay on that am i right in saying that so and and in, in terms of a correlation then between uh, what you see in the data over the years is it's a pretty close correlation between asking prices and then the sold prices six months later is that correct? Yeah. So uh, part of the DAFT report actually does use the transaction prices as well. And so because DAFT have the database they do, if you get the air code or the address, you can match through to the listing. And then you can say, OK, you, what you need to do to come up with a reliable measure of prices is to say, well, where is it? How many bedrooms does it have? And so on. You need to do a mix because you don't want to be comparing a two bed yeah. one period with a three bed the next and coming up with the wrong conclusion. Um, so there is a part of the DAF report that looks at transaction prices and it it, they, it gives a very similar picture. The bit that's forward looking, that's, that's new, is the list price bit. And that's why that's the bit that's in the headlines most of the time, because 
it's the bit that the CSO doesn't have in that sense, and nor does the CSO necessarily want it, right? It has a particular job um, to do. Um, but obviously from DAP's point of view, it's useful from, from their point of view because it, it helps get them out into, into in, in coverage. It's good for their brand. But from a market participant point of view, it helps everyone understand what conditions look like right now using the kind of individual decisions of people buying and selling and of course the agents as well themselves. Okay, okay, that's really interesting. And then I suppose with, with the reports being on Daft, like Daft is, I think, probably the biggest portal that has most of, nearly all, I guess, of uh, the supply on both for sale and for rent. It'd be rare you'd find one that isn't on Daft. Now, I do, I know obviously some, not all properties are going to be on Daft. And then there may be some that are multiple uh, properties on one listing. Yeah. And then there may be some where people, like, I know my friend put a, they, they had a room, like a, a granny flat kind of thing they wanted to rent and they put it on Daft and got like 300 replies in a day and they just took it down they were like no look we'll go with a more like local Facebook group or something because it's too it's just too much yeah um so I understand that but I guess like there's it's probably a small percentage that that isn't on it and then maybe just going back to your last point there was about what you think you'll see we will see this in in the first half of 2023 so you're you're not expecting a massive upward pressure so in other words you don't expect prices to go up is that what you're saying yeah, yeah. And, and somebody listening might be going, he's been a bit cagey there. Is he saying prices are going to fall or not? Um, and I, the, the honest answer is I don't, like, I don't see what would push prices up other than the only thing pushing prices up, um, and it's a question of whether it's, it's a bit strong enough to offset the other things, and I don't think it is, is the central bank relaxing its mortgage rules. Mm. Um, that is giving people sort of effectively bigger budgets. But at the same time, interest rates have gone up um, and there's, there's the, the, um, uh, the supply situation has improved. And, and as I was saying, confidence on the part of buyers has, has uh, deteriorated. All of those things are pushed in the other direction. So if, it, if, if I were a gambling man and I had to put money on it, I would, I would be expecting prices probably to ease back by a percent or two over the first few months of this year. Generally, the first three months is on the listing side. The first three months is the kind of the the, the market resets and you, oh, this is the 2023 supply, a bit like cars, right? This is the yeah. fresh batch of stuff. You tend to see a kind of a um, two, three, four percent increase. And then it's a question of what happens the rest of the year. I, I'd be surprised if we saw that this year. Um, once we're, as I say, once we're measuring like for like, I'd be surprised if we saw a big increase. Okay, that's interesting because I'm trying to get like you know qualified experts and get all their opinions on it and it's funny how you know some differ and, and some are the same uh but i mean it's you're trying to predict the future so it's uh it's fairly difficult um but i i guess looking at the data so i think what you said there is is very important about because people are really worried about this central bank relaxing the the lending limits and i think it's important to point out that it's only for first time buyers which isn't all of the market that's a it's a it's roughly i think around 35 to 30 to 35% of of the last uh in the cso stats i think around that of uh the number of buyers the rest were um subsequent buyers and uh, non households and then i like i don't think raising it up to 4 is going that doesn't automatically mean every first time buyer gets four times their income as a mortgage because as you said interest rates are going up which means their repayment capacity will be going down so they may not 
necessarily qualify for four times their income so i think that's an important thing to to mention and then something something you kind of you hinted at there which i find really i always find really interesting about it is say when you're surveying people for the daft report like how much of an impact does human behavior have on the economy and human behavior in terms of speculation and if they're hearing from their friends well jesus you'd be mad to buy now prices are going to drop by 20 percent like that kind of thing does feed through large groups groups of people especially with social media so like how much of an impact do you think that that has on on the overall economy especially in the housing market yeah I mean, and as i mentioned earlier by my doctorate was trying to understand how the irish housing market works and if you want to think of it as this kind of um that was a model that looked at um the irish housing system roughly from the 1970s up to 2012 and looking back over that time certainly from 1980 up to 2012 there were basically kind of you could think of of, of five things that mattered the first was the as you, you might expect is the supply of housing the more supply there was everything else being equal the cheaper housing was the second was people's incomes right? as incomes went up house prices went up if there was no extra supply um and those two are kind of like your your you're the race of the fundamentals, right? If, mm. if you measure supply in per household terms uh, and you've got income in per household terms, if they're doing the same thing, then there should be actually no increase in in, in prices. Um, of course, they're never doing exactly the same thing. One's always going faster or slower than the other. The third factor is is one that we forget about a bit. And as somebody who's, I'm involved in the policy debate, it's really important for me to remind policymakers of this. It's less important for this audience, but it's the it's the number of people in the average household. We have gone from having over four persons per household in the 1960s to about two and three quarters now. Um, this is on average. Obviously, nobody has three quarters of a person in their house. Um, but what, what that means is if you take the same population, but you split it into smaller households, that actually creates a need for more homes. Um, and we're on this big journey, and it'll take us another few decades to, to get to probably about two persons per household. But that's going to, you know, if you don't offset that with more supply, that will push prices up. But going to your question, the other two factors are you've got that demographic one and you've got supply and income. The other two factors, one is um, uh, one is the is the, um, the the credit conditions, right? So the rules that the central bank has or indeed didn't have during the bubble. All right. and, and the more that you cap those, the more stable prices are going to be, um, which is why relaxing the rules is, you know, everyone's a little uncertain as to what's going to happen because that's the first time they've been relaxed yeah. since they were introduced in 2014-15. But the last factor is what's known in the, um, in the literature, in the finance literature, as the user cost. So if you think about it from, say, you have an interest rate of 2%, as you would have had maybe a year ago or more, and you think property prices are going to go up by 5% this year, and suppose there's nothing else, no other cost about owning a home, you're actually, you'll actually make a profit on that home, right? As a, a profit in inverted commas, right? You're going to get more in the extra value in, that's getting added to your home than it's going to cost you in the interest, right? Um, but that was maybe the situation in 2021. In 2023, the interest rate has gone up to 4%, but actually people are no longer expecting to make 5%, make 5% in inverted commas, um, on, the, um, um, on their home. They're now expecting it to be maybe the same in a year's time as it is now. So all of a sudden, that cost is a lot more real. And as you say, it could be completely psychological. There may be nothing to it. We used to call the sunspots in economics, where you know something something just catches the imagination, and then the, the market gets distracted by something. Um, or it could be real that people have changed their expectations for a very good reason. Whatever 
is driving it, that change in mood or sentiment will feed through. And it's why, even though it's easy to mock, when you hear people say, oh, don't talk down the market, there's something behind that, right? Ultimately, I believe that fundamentals will win out, right? If it's good value to buy a home, no matter how much people are talking about, you know, something's on the cusp and you really shouldn't. That's what happened when the market turned in 2012. if you surveyed people, people expected prices to fall because that's what happened in the last few years. But actually, the market turned because enough people realized that it was good value for them to, to buy at that point in time. Yeah, So it, and the same could, could be said for 2008. People were expecting, well, in 2009. Oh, exactly. It's going to yeah. be another 10%, so I may as well buy now because I'm going to pay 10% more next year. And then the opposite is true for 2012. Yeah. Like, no, well, I'm not buying now because it'll be 10% less in 2013. Yeah. So I guess, uh, yeah, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? The fundamentals should and should yeah, always and, win out. We call like adaptive expectations, right? That people look at the recent past and extrapolate from that. And it makes sense because we've got an awful lot else going on in our lives. Like you're not going to sit down and, and work out an economic model for yourself just to buy a home, right? You're going to go with the signals around you and, and, and make your decisions based on that. But, and as you say, at turning points, they won't always get you right. But a lot of this is reasonably theoretical from the point of view of an individual or a couple thinking about buying now the key question for them is is it the right time for them it's about their personal circumstances and the dwelling that they're looking at i'm sure this is similar to what you would say as well is that if if you are secure in your income and your job or you feel secure and you're looking at kind of i would typically say 10 plus years um at the, the home that you're you're hoping to buy then you need to be a lot less worried about two or three year swings in the market than if someone is saying, you know what, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to sell it in 18 months time. I'm not saying you can't do that, but that's a completely different proposition to somebody buying at a a very secure point in their career. They've just got promoted or just come through probation or whatever it is. And they're looking at 10 years plus down the line. And in the case of buying a newly built property, they may have um, the help to buy or similar kind of to, to reduce the deposit required as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that is the same thing that I tend to say to people is, do you love it? Can you afford it? Will you always be able to afford it? And do you plan on staying there long term? Because the alternatives are renting at the highest rent prices in history. And then also, it's not just that home. Like you might say, oh, well, there'd be another one. That exact home may not be available again in six months time, especially if you're looking at the existing stock or, or secondhand homes or whatever. Uh, like they're, they're not they're not really building a whole lot of new homes for people to buy so it, a lot of us are fighting over the, the existing stock and and you may not like they may not come up that often so it's that is kind of what I tend to say to people is look if it's the right time for you like it's impossible to predict where prices are going to go it's impossible to to play that market but um and then if like if somebody is looking to invest or whatever that's you know that's not my wheelhouse it's not really something i'm interested in i'm, I'm kind of thinking of yeah. these properties as homes rather than an investment yeah. so it's not really it's nothing to do with me that kind of stuff and but i'd be like yeah look do whatever <laughs> and exactly yeah like any, good luck yeah yeah like any other investment you know it carries risks but i think it's important that people realize that you know the, the alternative is you're paying rent higher rent and then if prices drop or they go up it doesn't really matter to you if the only time the value of your home matters is the day you buy it and then the day you sell it and then maybe the day you look to remortgage or switch your mortgage or whatever which which we did so i guess that's kind of that's always my 
kind of go to for for when people ask that question is now a good time to buy so i um from an expert's point of view so if you were to talk about maybe this time next year looking forward towards even 2024 do you think prices as a whole across the nation will they kind of be around the same will they be up and down one or two percent um what, what would be your prediction on that yeah and maybe that's a, a, a useful kind of prompt to take a step back and look at the system in in, in, in a wider sense because that helps me answer that that question as a country we didn't really have a business model from you know from almost 150 years right up until the the early 1990s right and we, then we got into the single european market and then we had a business model as a country right we actually were acting as a and we still do act as a platform into the single european market for mostly north american firms right and we've made hay with that strategy and fingers crossed there's, there's some mileage in it left not for the tax revenues but for the jobs right the the, the, the jobs are are the, are the key bit there all that success means you got more people and you got more homes that you need to build. But we failed. We have failed over the last 25 years to build the homes that we need, in particular around the cities. That is not something that goes away in two or three years. Right? It, it didn't go away 2007 to 2012. But what happened there was you had this reset of financial conditions. Right. And people were no longer getting lent seven times their income. They were only going to get lent three and a half times their income. And in that, in that context, it made sense that house prices fell by half. But it did nothing to change the underlying scarcity of, in particular, rental housing that was emerging already in 2009 in Dublin. I remember writing a report in 2009 saying we're running out of rental homes. And politicians would look at you and go, what are you talking about? You've got ghost estates. And it's like, have you seen the ghost estates? They're not the rental homes. They're different things. And mm. um, so, to, to, like, I, I, I'm involved in, in, in work at the moment looking at, at housing required in Ireland out to mid-century. And long story short, the most reasonable parameters right, that we think of now as of 2023 suggest that we need between, say, 42 and 62,000 homes a year, every year the next 30 years. In a country that is clapping itself in the back for building 29,000 homes last year, that says to me that our, the shortage of housing is going to be there for quite some time. So as long as you've got that shortage of housing and as long as Ireland has its business model, I don't see a, 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 a reasonable scenario where we're going to have some sort of 50% reset like we had last time. We've got the central bank rules, we've got a shortage of housing, and we've got a business model. Now, if, if one of those other things change, the central bank goes, Do you know what, actually, we don't need these rules anymore. Let's get rid of them. Um, or Ireland suddenly becomes a basket case because its entire business model goes up in smoke. We probably have other problems then as well, in addition to housing ones. Um, but if, if those things happen, then I guess all bets are off. But if you think those things are unlikely to happen, if you think the central bank is going to keep its rules there, and if you think that Ireland is going to be you know, reasonably successful over the next few years, then our housing shortage is not going away anytime soon. And that says to me that the outlook for the next three to five years is it may be muted growth, it may be a slight correction after the last few years, but overall we're talking about a country that doesn't have enough homes given its economic success. And I think that's a great summary of basically the last 50 years of, of policy. We, we're, we're, almost, we're almost victims of our own success when it comes to what, what they have managed to do is to turn Ireland into a place that was not a nice place to be in the 70s and in the 80s into a place where a lot of people want to be. And because of that, we have too many people looking to buy homes. And, and, and if I could add one thing onto that as well, I have a little pop at the... Um... At officialdom, the I think 
they mistake, right, they do these population projections and they're always really conservative with the population projections because I think if they write down that Ireland is going to grow fast, even if it's only, you know, one of their scenarios, they're petrified that they'll be like, oh, well, you said population was going to grow X and it never did. And how, how could you tempt the fates, right, by doing this? Whereas in fact, if, if we grow strongly, we'll need all sorts of infrastructure, schools and, and childcare places and university places, as well as housing and train stations. And by not even contemplating that that could have happened, we've missed a trick, not just on housing, but on childcare places and university places and train stations and roads and all sorts of stuff that we didn't do. So we need to get better at understanding that we may actually grow. Sorry, that's my rant over there. No, you're right. And how do we build more then? What's the answer? How, how do we get them like 30,000, 29,000, whatever? That's the most we've built since the crash. How do we yeah. double that? In, in one way, it's easy. It's got to be viable, right? So you got to bring costs down. But that's the easy way is just saying it. But the, it, to actually do that, how do you bring costs down so that they're a more reasonable multiple of, um, um, of, of, of like, because if you think about it from building a home in Carrick and Shannon or Kilkenny or whatever, you're struggling at the cusp of viability, right? Like it might be 300,000 to, to build a home. And will you get 300,000 if you sell it in the market? But what if it only costs 200,000? And I think that's the key for policymakers. They have been reluctant to get involved in that side of things for the last few years. It's like, well, isn't that the sector's problem? It's pretty clear to me the sector is not going to fix that problem, or at least it hasn't fixed that problem in the last five years. It's unlikely to fix it in the next five years. So policymakers need to take a much more active approach at understanding what are in those costs, why they are as bad in Ireland as they are compared to other countries, and then t- start taking the steps. Um, and that's the bit that, unfortunately, I can't give you an ABC, right? Better land policy will definitely help right and and there's kind of land value sharing other things that will help with getting land used better and um, a bit of policy certainty right not always changing things that will help get investment in and we need investment from abroad to finance the building of the homes but ultimately it's the it's the hard yards of, of figuring out in this bit of costs why do we stick out so much um, and that's not glamorous but it, it, that's the bit where we will go from 30 to 35 to 40 to 45. If you're a politician and you're like, I want to do this overnight, please tell me how. <laughs> the problem electorally is that, well, that sounds awfully lot that you want to do something like tax breaks, right? And tax breaks are a bit of a no-no in Ireland after we did them 98 to 2008, and they got homes built in, in all the wrong places. Now, hypothetically, I could say you could design tax breaks that don't do that, but could I get re-elected? Um, if I were a politician having bought them in, I'm not so sure. Um, so I don't know if there's any quick wins and even the slow wins are, are, are tough to, to list. And I guess that kind of it's something I always think about is when we have a four year cycle for governments, it's very tough to think long term like that. And you're talking about making projections up into the mid century. Like, is there an argument there that we could look? Would it be better for us as a country to have like cross party support for a policy, yeah. a 20, 30 year policy that no matter who is in government, this is our housing policy that we, ha- no matter who's in, you have to stick to. Um, but Cer- then it's certainly making I think that prediction the, is going to be tough. Yeah, certainly the the, the, the broad contours, right? One of the things that is, it's not about having a number, 
right? Because nobody's going to know the number. I don't know the number. But what I can tell you from where we stand now at the end of January 2023 is the most likely set of scenarios have the following bits, right? And what, what that broadly says something like 40 to 60,000 homes or a little bit higher. And I, I believe that if I sat down with everyone from each of the political parties and walked it through, just on that bit, I could get them to, to agree with those numbers, right? It's, it's just maths. It's not even economics. It's just maths. The hard bit is, of course, what happens after that. It's like, well, are they going to be social housing, rental housing, owner-occupied? Is it going to be in Dublin? Is it going to be in Galway? Where is it going to be, right? But in some ways, if you can get people to agree on the scale of the needs, then you can start, okay, leave a bit of room for maneuver on the other stuff later on. What we have at the moment is a system that is still, it's like a, it's a post-Celtic Tiger system. It, it, it keeps thinking that its role is to try and stop too many homes getting built. Can you believe it, right? It's there going, oh, well, this local authority shouldn't be zoning that land because just in case we build too many homes. I mean, I'd love it if the problem is too many homes rather than too few, right? Because if you do too many homes in a system with central bank rules, the costs are a lot smaller than having too few homes. We can see the cost of having too few homes. It's not good. Um, sorry, I, I could, as I say, I could happily chat about this for another 35 hours, let alone 35 <laughs> minutes. But uh, everyone has something else to be doing, I'm sure. No, you're very good. Thanks so much, Ron. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I think it's a it's a good one to finish on in terms of, I mean, wrapping it all up is we, we need to build a lot more. We need to figure out how to make it possible for us to build a lot more. And um, oh, can I, yeah, maybe I'll give one, one, one uh, optimistic note. The yeah. LDA, the Land Development um, uh, Agency, that is a, a basically a state-owned builder. And people are saying, why don't we have a state-owned builder? We, we do. It's, it's getting up and running. It's taken a bit longer than maybe they would have liked, but it is up and running and the first few hundred homes will come out this year. That's a model that I think that could be um, could be expanded. Yeah, scaled up mm. over the next few years. So fingers crossed that works. Okay, fantastic. Look, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Ronan, for taking out the time to chat with me. I know you're busy at home with all the kids and uh, and in work, so really appreciate it. And people can check out your, you're very active on Twitter. It's at Ronan Lines, I think, isn't it? At Ronan Lines. That's right, yeah. And um, and then obviously all the daft reports as well. So thank you so much, Ronan. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Karen. Hi, I am just going to pause the podcast for a second to talk to you about some sponsors of the Crazy House Prices podcast. This episode is sponsored by Daft.ie. Daft is Ireland's number one property portal. Daft has the most properties available for sale and rent and is the preferred national property website amongst consumers in Ireland. So Daft.ie's core vision is to make buying, selling and renting property better for everyone in Ireland. So Daft's mission is to simplify each step of every property transaction in the Irish market to make buying, selling, and renting in Ireland simple. That's why Daft.ie build innovative tools like Offers by Daft, an online real-time offers platform that provides never-before-seen transparency for the Irish consumer when buying a home. Are you looking to buy? Maximize your chances of finding your dream home by visiting Daft.ie, Ireland's number one property website. August Shine Lahai on episode show of the Crazy House Prices podcast. That was a really informative chat with Ronan. I've done a few things with Ronan in the past and he's always just really good to listen to and when he's talking about housing and I'm sure you have learned something there. I think it's interesting to hear the difference in opinion for some experts and economists and also the things they agree on. So make sure you've checked out my previous episode with Kieran McQueen of the ESRI and um, again as always a special thank you to our 
sponsors and to my patrons for supporting the podcast and my Instagram page. If you're looking to buy a home in Ireland, I have some great news for you. My book, How to Buy a Home in Ireland, is now totally finished. Edits are done. It's off to print and it's available to pre-order now and will be officially released at the end of March. So if you order it now, it gets sent to you for the end of March. You can pre-order it by following the link in the episode description or go to my Instagram and it's in the link in my bio there. Or if you're listening to this after the end of March 2023, then it should be available to buy wherever you get your books. So thanks again for listening. August Slongafold.